a Highline podcast. We live in a complicated and fascinating world that invites us to dive deep into its intricacies. Exploring the ideas and events that excite, intrigue, irritate, and confound us is how we graduate our knowledge beyond meme culture. Join us over a cocktail as we expand our understanding and share in the beauty we find along the way. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. What just happened? Oh, wait, we're starting. (laughs) Yes. I'm feeling emotions. I don't know. I'm just giggling at the whole thing. (laughs) I loved that. I loved that. That was <laughs> primo relaxed energy for the evening. Absolutely. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I guess welcome to summer, fam. Am I right? Right. Just absolutely gorgeous day. Yes. I was working outside and it was hot and sweaty and I got burnt on the neck and the arms. But, oh, like by the feeling. sun. Nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a good feeling. Work, start that tan, but like, carry sunscreen, right? Well, no, I gotta become a Greek god, well, Italian god. Um, <laughs> Greeks suck. Yeah, you do that, though, <laughs> way too easy. Like, well, you don't no, need I don't. to work for that. Look, my father is Italian AF and is <laughs> dark. My mother is French. Ah, and his, like, so porcelain. you got the blend. Mm. Yeah, you got the blend of very fair skin and very I am a sun weathered mulatto. Yeah, not quite, but you know, it's a struggle. <laughs> it's a struggle. Yeah. Oh, we're looking at a high of like ninety degrees here in Billings tomorrow, and uh, we you know it snowed last tomorrow. week. So what the yeah, fuck? Or, yeah, like, exactly. What's happening? That's, that's spring in Montana for you. Uh huh. I know, right? It's supposed to be, yeah, close to 80 and clear tomorrow, and then it's going to rain and be in the 50s on Saturday. There we go. Actually? Mm Mm-hmm. That sucks. Maybe I'm not working Saturday. Well, (laughs) yeah. Uh Uh-oh. We were supposed to throw a rager this weekend for graduation on Saturday night. Oh. So, hopefully we won't get rained out. Mm. We'll just rage inside, I guess, but. Yeah. You can you can rage in the rain. There are always options. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not did with that about, attitude. Did, did I, I tell you guys say. about this this graduation? They just graduated college, and they want to have the party be costume theme, and you dress up as like some stereotypical college thing. I don't really get it. Like a stereotypical like character from college that's what i thought but then like one person's gonna go like they're going to a rave who would you go as what's your costume well i thought i should go as maybe like traditional like kardashian style which is like 80 percent of girls on campus so like tights crop top um (laughs) oh okay straighten my hair Mm. i'm joking nails well definitely fake nails Mm -hmm. um some nice white tennies draw on your lips Shave your mustache, draw lips on. Yeah. Get some Botox. <laughs> wow. Or leave I don't know. Must- Alternatively, do? leave gonna... the mustache. It, right. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I might just go shave it down to a mustache, Hawaiian shirt. Go as a bro. Yeah. Mm, That's easy. Uh, 
cat what I don't would know you if go I've ever worn my hat backwards but what would I go as yeah what's your stereotypical college look <sighs> I don't I don't know what it would what? be. Okay, here's the question though: Is slutty who... drunk girl at a party is what's coming to mind? <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. But that's you know. I think I would up. go. I would like. Okay, just just picture it in your mind eye, mind's eye, will you? Okay. Tan cargo shorts. Um, probably wearing my chacos with a pair of like tube socks. Okay. Uh, polo shirt and neck beard. Like that's. I could I could work with that. Okay. That's me. I'm that guy at the college. You should go with a stereotypical like Bozeman college person. Uh, which is like trucker hat and long hair. Patagonia coat. Yeah, Patagonia coat, Birkenstocks. You need like your Carhartt overalls that you've never worked in. Oh, I have Carhartt overalls. I'll wear them with some tea a t shirt. Yeah, no, no shirt, out. no shirt, just the overalls. Okay, I don't and think then, like, they socks actually do that. And then like socks and tivas. Have you seen mm. hipsters of Bozeman? Okay. Yes, they True. do. <laughs> Pull up in your tricked out Tacoma that has never seen yeah. a dirt road in its goddamn yes. life. Absolutely. Yes, please and thank you. Okay, so good. That's what I can do. <laughs> and bring a dog. You Marshall's got it. has got a puppy. <laughs> you you, go. Yes, oh, he did. Him, yeah. That is a very cute Shout puppy. out to... Baby Fred and Daddy Marshall. <laughs> Sup, Marshall? Absolutely. I forgot he's in Bozeman now. I know he was like Salt Lake City life for a while and then like pandemic and stuff. Kind of yeah. messed things up, huh? Well, he's going to be hitting like a year here soon. Yeah. Hmm. Which is wild. Good work. Good times. Absolutely. He's done it. Ooh. All right. So I believe we're going to be talking about some green green dream oh yeah oh well, yeah hey wait i, I just wait. googled green dream and it's a strain of marijuana oh i'm not surprised and oh, look at that that I we can now legally purchase it is definitely not about biden <clears throat> yeah <laughs> unless it is well maybe <laughs> oh yeah very good uh yeah torna you and i have to kind of tread lightly we're uh we're speaking with TV royalty tonight. Oh, that's true. Cat was on the news. Cat, tell me about being on like the news and TV and stuff. What was it like? Well, it was nerve wracking. <laughs> I got a message from kind of the publicist who is a part of the writing program I'm in. Um, who she's in charge of like booking uh, the contributors and. Friday, I'm at work, looking forward to a mellow evening, and I got a text saying, like, hey, do you want to be on Fox 5 DC at 11.30 Eastern time tonight? And I threw Whoa. my phone. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, no. Did like, you break it? Put, no, but I just kind of, like, pushed it away from me, you know? I was like, oh, my God. Right. My initial instinct was like, no. It's um, like your phone bit you a little. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and... And then I thought about it for about five seconds and I realized, no, I have to say yes. So, yeah. So then I kind of just like spent the afternoon getting prepped for it. Um, I got real jacked on caffeine um, and rehearsed my talking points to myself a million times. And then, yeah, going on air remotely was odd. Um, I just kind of 
was waiting in a Zoom room by myself, like down to the fucking wire before it was time. Oh, jeez, um, jeez. Yeah, like literally, like a producer comes. I couldn't see anything, or yeah, I couldn't see them. I could see myself, but I couldn't see the host or um anybody else uh in the studio and so it's kind of odd right because i was kind of like blacked out you know and yeah and then all of a sudden it was like the producer was there making sure that i sounded okay and then like five seconds later like the music started like the commercial ended and the music started and they introduced me but it was quick it was like a five minute interview um or segment so it flew by super fast and like I told you guys, the coolest part was when they fucking unexpectedly plugged Whiskey Bench at the very end. Absolutely. That, so that th- was fun. That felt nice. That was very yeah. good. It was obvious I, uh, he had done his uh, Twitter bio research. Yes. Um, yes. Because he thought you totally. were from California. Like, right. 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 Or he thought I was <laughs> in, in California. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So nice correction. Man, I. Okay. So. Just from like a production side of things, I, w- I would have thought that their producers would be more on the ball and like do a sound check with you five minutes earlier than what they did. Like that's like, what if your sound was bad? Like, what would they have done? <laughs> that's fair. Totally. I expected at least like a couple minutes, you know, I logged in like 10 minutes before I thought I needed to. And then it like, anyway, it was just, I was sitting there for like. 12 minutes just watching the seconds go by on the clock like waiting you know Jeez. but um but yeah i don't know it's, it's just fast pace so i guess that's that's showbiz apparently yeah. <laughs> absolutely anyway and i would have thought yeah. you could well i mean like you you played to the camera really well i thought you were actually like looking at him i had Mm-mm. no idea you were just just all audio and they were just yep. taping your video yeah, that's also yeah. wild to me. Wow, totally. Wait, what you couldn't see him? I couldn't no. see him. What the heck? But then when you think about it, like where would his Zoom camera be? You know, like how would they have set that up? Because he's looking into like camera cameras. You know, so yeah, then to I somehow guess. get Zoom in front of him would have been right. kind of awkward. Fair, so fair enough. Apparently, that's the way it goes during COVID. But um, interesting. Yeah, interesting. it was a cool, cool experience. Nerve wracking, but I survived. So um. Glad I did it. Right. Super stoked. They plugged Whiskey Mench. Organically, Maybe too. Some... Like, he brought it up. I know. <laughs> I know. I wasn't expecting it at all. And then he was like, we should have you back and, like... Give me a cocktail Make cocktails recipe. or yeah. something. Yeah. Oh, and I yeah. was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> That'd be super fun. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Cocktail on news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Oh man, so good. You did so good. Like I I was when I watched it, I was just like, I know I know her. This is crazy. <laughs> I have to imagine too, like I think the nerves I would guess, I mean, like it was your first time. But I would also yeah. guess that the nerves are probably packed in a lot more just because you know you only have about five minutes to say what you're being asked to present or asked to share. Yeah. Whereas I, I like Man, with podcasting at this point, like it's a non-factor that there's a microphone in my face and like I have the headphones and the whole production studio going. It's just I'm having a conversation, but we're allowed to do that because it's a long form medium. So I have to imagine, yeah, the the short term, you know, get in, get out uh, probably injects a lot more energy 
Yeah. Yeah. And the prep for it's interesting, like uh, with the Young Voices publicist beforehand, like a couple hours earlier, she and I did like a practice session and you realize just how quick those five minutes go. And it's not just me talking for the five minutes. It's like half him talking and then half me responding. Well, and now now think about when you turn on the news and it's a five minute segment and they've got three people on that all disagree with each other. How is this even remotely useful? I know. That's so true. I know. Yeah. So you have to like front load your opening statement with basically everything you want to say. And then mm-hmm. then they kind of ask redundant questions yeah. and you kind of say the same thing over again. Just to make <laughs> so sure it gets in there formula. if you get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. So. Dang. Fun stuff. Good work. Well, if I ever get invited, I have no cocktail recipe to share. I would just tell him to drink this delicious Lagavulin scotch 16. Yes. <laughs> yes. Kick back with it. Did you guys see the meme I shared on Twitter that it was like absurdly true from Lagavulin? Oh, yes. It was the, the measurement graph. Yeah. It was like the first <laughs> more than, well, less than half of your bottle is like, share it with everyone. Share it with everyone, proselytize, like make sure everyone knows how good this whiskey is. And then at the bottom, it's like, literally, I will hide this away from everyone I know. This is my drink. No one fucking touch it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. It was insanely true. It was the truest thing I've ever seen on Twitter, to be honest. And it was great. <laughs> Nectar of the gods. <laughs> yeah, I find that when I have a bottle that I'm particularly fond of and it gets really low, Instead of just drinking it and getting a new bottle, it just sits there undrunk. There's something to be like, said huh. about the last few drops of a bottle that you just like, yeah, you're entering sacred space. You got to make sure you savor it well. That's why you got to have one ready to go behind it. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank you. Always be prepared. <laughs> then it never right. matters if you, uh, you finish it up. Well, that's good. We know that you're enjoying that smoky goodness. We are drinking some pina coladas this evening. A classic. It just sounded so good. <laughs> Basically, I'm obsessed with pina coladas, and now that the weather's getting better, it's it's go. It's game time. <laughs> uh, also, I've been talking about pina coladas a lot lately, because at some point in the next couple of weeks, there's going to be a tacos, pina coladas, Fire pit and cigar night. Ooh, here at the house. Wow, looking at you, cat. You can come if you want. I would love to. <laughs> Look at that. Into it. <laughs> so I'm like, gotta make pina coladas. What started your love affair with pina coladas? Uh, it was last summer, right after we moved in here. Mm. There was a good month where I think we just had people coming over all the time, and it was nice, and we were hanging out, and I, w- I would make pina coladas. I probably made pina coladas like four nights a week for like a month. Oh my God. And I'd shake them in the 64 ounce. That's a lot. Uh, hydro flask. <laughs> so that I could do like a bunch of them all at once. Cause yeah. these aren't blended. These are shaken traditional That's pina coladas. Proper. But to shake. you know, I'll, uh, I'll pound a slushy pina colada <laughs> any day. I just <laughs> kind of prefer the, the trad. What's the history there? When did, blending become popular i have no idea but probably like when the blender was invented some i don't even know when blame some 60s 
<laughs> I, I don't even know. It's a psyops. Some 60s playboy. Yeah, it was some psyops to convince people to stop shaking their drinks. Hmm. Think about it. You got daiquiris and pina coladas and margaritas. Mm. Yeah, everything. They, they all started blending. started getting blended. Hmm. You're presenting it as if it's like this massive conspiracy. I like this uh, energy. I think it is. The lizard people <laughs> liked blending things. No, they, they are an ancient people. I'm sure they shake their drinks. <laughs> They're sophisticated cat. Get out of here with your sacrilegious mm, claims. Right. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it's flipping delicious. What's I'm the recipe? Did you right get, now. Yeah. Oh, I totally forgot about the recipe. <laughs> the recipe is whatever you want it to be inside of your heart. Mm. <laughs> this is how much he loves pina coladas. Oh but God. it's just a it's a you one. You are the pina colada. You feel it in your body. Maybe the real pina colada was the friends we made was along the way. Made along the way. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, good Lord. It's equal ratios of pineapple juice. Coconut cream and rum. Generally one ounce, one ounce, one ounce. This is three ounce, three ounce, three I was ounce. Say, this looks like Good a lot more than that. Each. Good. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Good work. Wait, and so you don't put it over ice? I shake it. In ice. In so it's ice. Cold. And it gets a little frothy and then I strain it. But you can serve it on ice and there's a uh, blue something that I'll make. It's just a pina colada with blue cacao. Oh, to give it kind so of a... it tastes just like a regular pina colada, but it's blue. Hmm. It's fun. It, it is kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's some 60s Yeah, Yeah, <laughs> honestly, right it really is. Gets, I wish I had like some gaudy like pineapple spears and maybe some lemongrass, like make it like tiki style. Totally. Oh, that'd be nice. You have quite an amorous relationship with this beverage, Torna. Should we be worried? <laughs> I don't know. You know, like you look at someone that's like addicted to Mountain Dew. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, why, why are you drinking sugar? Oh, but then you water. have a Mountain Dew and you're like, I get it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's kind of it. refreshing. Yeah. This is kind of a sugary drink. Like, I mean, it's pineapple juice. And, and rum and whatnot, but it's sweet and creamy, coconutty, pineapple-y. Hmm. I was just going to talk about how it'd be good for inducing um, labor, but you shouldn't drink pina coladas if you're pregnant, so. <laughs> Why, wait, <laughs> whoa, hold what on. on? Why earth would that be good? Scientific component. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't, that uh, isn't that like a wife's tale? Like pineapple juice is... Like there's a chemical in it that is it. I thought it was good for the other end of that equation, but not the end result of the equation. What other? <laughs> I don't end know. I'm not a doctor. Don't about. take my advice. <laughs> Fair enough. You're uh, although just you know I'm not a doctor, but you know you can get lucky like John Locke. He, I mean, he also he studied. He was a physician. By, well, by <laughs> what he was studying wasn't particularly useful. That's probably fair to some degree. <laughs> uh, I diverge. Anyway. <laughs> oh, that old thing's funny. Torna's, yeah. <laughs> I'm on another one tonight, guys. I'm like tired and sunburnt, 
and I think I have a splinter in my throat. <laughs> splinter in his throat. He's splinter half drunk on pina coladas. Already. Look at him go. Yeah. He's on one. If I was on one last weekend or last week, Torna's on one this week. You know, like in the uh, during summer when you spend all day outside and you come in, you got like that outside fever head buzz. Yeah. I got a good summer head buzz going on right now. Oh. It was not go. even hot today. I am weak and not <laughs> acclimatized to our mild summers. Mm. Very good. I'm, 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 I also can't see through my glasses. They're all covered in dirt <laughs> and sawdust. Real piece of work tonight, man. What the? Oh, not work. Piece of art. Piece of Henning. art. To each their own. In the eye of the beholder, as they say. I'm wondering how we pivot this energy because Torna, I was really curious to revisit some of our conversation from last week, having having a week of reflection time. And I'll be honest, I haven't reflected much this week. (laughs) Okay, okay, that's good. But I hope that you've reflected. I have notes, my friend. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Okay. I I want to take us straight back to the conversation about. Kind of the the pre enlightenment values that structured reality, and that seems like they may have been lost during the enlightenment. But I'm actually starting to think that they never went anywhere. They just kind of became the updated models, and I think that might be where Torna, you're experiencing some of your frustration because mm-hmm. you came you came out pretty hot with kind of a rejection of systemic issues kind of in general do you still feel that way or am i misrepresenting you from the offset uh yeah i don't think that it's i think there's something else there and it's not that's what people are pointing to mm-hmm. and what they're trying to weed out and i don't know if that is the problem like the main problem so we're, like we might be in a situation where we're we're treating the side effects, but we're not diagnosing the disease. Yeah, that that might be more more the direction. Okay. Yeah, because like I guess I I was rather confused because uh, you 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 kept coming back to like it felt it feels like something shifted, and I don't know what that is. And to me, especially on the re-listen, I like I think the enlightenment was. That like that was the shift, is that mm-hmm. as when the when the updated software basically like downloaded into our civilization first in Europeans, and then kind of exported around the world as they like as Europeans went and colonized and explored the New World and uh, set up trade routes and all this. Like uh, Kat did a fantastic job of showing how like the Chinese when they had their explosion of culture and science and their, their own kind of renaissance, they went protectionist and kind of walled up. And we watched what happened as that devolved. I think you could probably say the same thing about the Islamic golden age is the, whoa, geez, I just oh, for threw sure. my iPad. Um, <laughs> like the Islamic golden age. Hold on. I got to get the iPad. <laughs> oh, like but, it's gone. But we, uh, yeah, we talked about that. About that last episode, too, that like they eventually became like grew so fundamentalist. Right. 
that um, it kind of had the same effect as uh, the Chinese dynasties turning inward and being mm-hmm. protectionist. It, it just it stifled innovation mm-hmm. and therefore like growth. Whereas Europeans took everything coming out of the, the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and went everywhere else with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like I've been thinking about the the setup you presented Torna of language, lineage, and deity. And I'm kind of wondering, I mean, I don't, I don't know in what way the value of language might've evolved from that pre-enlightenment framework. I don't know if Mm -hmm. it becomes more Mm -hmm. like philosophical language or just like now that the barrier to like me being a person who can't even speak Spanish, like I can still communicate with someone using tools at my disposal to like pretty easily translate my intent. Like even if I'm like trying to buy a meal. Right. Mm -hmm. So like language, as far as just speaking different tongues has diminished. I mean, the barrier still exists, but I think that might have evolved in some way. I haven't figured out how, and I think Kat and I kind of dug down into how the value of, or like the, the lig, uh, if you will, of deity can morph and change. Like either, either it's like within a traditionally orthodox religious structure like Christianity or Islam or Hinduism or something, or it kind of can turn into this like new atheism thing. And then like, what's your God then? And like the the value of like looking for a, some form of moral standard is out there and we still desire that. And that's kind of what deity has become or kind of modified itself into. And I'm thinking about lineage then. And I took it very face value last time, kind of talking about how like, I know I'm German, but that's pretty much it. Like, I don't know much Mm -hmm. about the makeup of my family tree or like where, where I can trace my roots back to. I couldn't even tell you what my last name means, but I think, I think that lineage actually has turned into a kind of a surface level assessment based on things like skin color, based on things like, or like even where you grew up or something like that. And if that's the case, I think that's where, I think that's where like modern day expressions of racism can come into play. And I think it's very possible that that becomes a systemic issue, but that I've been talking enough. Like what, what are your reactions to this? Well, I think that like, like tribal mentality around your lineage um, and the distinct characteristics about that, whether it's how you look or the way you sound or, you know, what corner of, the community you're a part of mm-hmm. that. I don't, that's not a new phenomenon. I think that predates, I don't, I don't know how much that has really evolved from mm-hmm. pre enlightenment to modern day. That seems like one of the legs that we can't shed. Oh yeah. Well, if we wanted to, maybe, maybe I, I didn't say it clear enough. I guess like, I, I still think, I think the value is there. I think that just the way it gets expressed a few centuries after the, the dawn of the enlightenment just changes as you know uh common common language changes and just like especially with our like 
explosion of information. Like if you're looking for a tribe in how however many billion like Facebook friends or like Twitter followers and stuff, I think part of the part of the like identifying factors like get a lot more shallow because you have so much more to choose from in a way. True. Yep. Right. And I think it's, I I think it's unfortunately natural that skin color does become part of that system. Right. And that, and that's, I think though that people tend to be more, maybe this is how it's evolved and maybe I'm going to refute exactly what I just said a couple (laughs) seconds ago, but maybe it's evolved into like you're saying, Henning, we have so many different options that it's where we associate not by simply where we're from, but by like what we're interested in. Like maybe that plays more of a dominant role in determining like who our tribe is. Yeah. Whether they're podcasters or they're worlds of Warcraft or dun- what's the game? Dungeons and games. Dragons. Yes. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons Thank or you. like whatever it is, you know, or like people who like knitting, you know, but there's, we are so much more easily connected to people yeah. from any corner of the world that have a common interest that we're more connected and identified by our interests than simply by like where we're from or our innate physical characteristics. Right. Yeah. Well, and I would agree with that in pretty much any sense. I mean, it's like, there are so many, I guess there's just so many more interesting things and it's just so frustrating that what seems to be the focus is a handful of, you know, human, well, how do I even say this? Like a handful of, of human factors that people don't have control over, like, is what defines people, at least in the West. I think, too. There's, like, so many more interesting things about people and and deeper things to bond over and things like that. And so it's just me trying to work through my frustrations with the state of the world. Oh, yeah. Well, totally. I think I think all that's valid and... I mean, like you, you and I are a hundred percent on the same page that it is silly to discriminate based on race because that's like, I mean, that's that's one of the first impressions you have of a person, even the first impression you have of their profile picture, right? Like, can paint an entire idea for you about what that person might be like. And I think part of that uh, is also a symptom, again, of our information age, where you know, like the average YouTube videos played for like like 12 seconds before people move on and like TikToks yeah. have to be all like they have to be so much faster because you got to hook them right at the beginning otherwise they're just going to keep scrolling like because our 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 tools for connecting with other human beings are being trained to a much shorter attention span and it's it's almost literally based on like an entertainment value like yeah I mean, like this, this is why I think my other podcast, No Normal People is so unique and why I'm so proud of the idea is like, I sit down with one person for two hours and literally just ask them questions about themselves and like, let, and just like get to know someone, but it takes time. Like, and it's, it's hard to not, uh, that's what, I mean, like, that's why the podcast is the perfect medium for it is because it's built to be long form. And that's why I, I value the medium. Like. It would be a a bad way to do things if I was, you know, putting two tweets out per person that I interviewed for two hours or something like that. 
yeah so like as as the availability of like building your tribe based on other things grows i think things are just getting shallower and i think again your race can just become a part of that unfortunately like that's just it's mm-hmm. part of the first impression i think though that like broad stroke trends in some circles this won't be a popular <laughs> statement to make but like broad stroke trends race is incredibly far um far less of an important factor um in most people's interactions and perceptions of other human beings and like decisions than we're led to believe it is by like hysterical divisive media and politicians well and that's what i i would agree with that statement and that's why the focus on it like if there's anything institutional about it it's that like the institutions want you to only dwell on like race but increasingly they oh. want us to only dwell on race yeah, yeah like exactly in in an effort to like undermine or dismantle an institution that's allegedly racist we're making everything about race mm-hmm. and i think that's i think that'll be a detriment to race relations and to human beings and to individuality and to free thought um, so because it's playing into that effect of like we need to have the most like the hottest takes up front you got to say all your stuff really fast and and honestly just like a a system incentivized to sell ads and that feeds off of moral outrage and fury that that's just the thing that's being amplified is that what we're saying i yeah i guess there's definitely part of kind of two different trends that's sort of where the two worlds intersect sure but I think increasingly our major institutions, whether it's like, you know, NASDAQ saying that every any company that's a part of NASDAQ has to have has to meet a certain quota of certain people of certain races and sexual orientations. And if they don't meet the quota, they have to make a public statement explaining why they couldn't meet the quota. And you think about like what that really means if that's implemented and what an invasion of privacy that is, right? And then, and you know, kind of a an affront to people's civil liberties. Like it's just, but like that's the direction that we're moving in. That our Whoa. institutions are moving in to try to, in the name of like healing racial tension. And in my mind, like that just fucking amplifies it, and frankly, creates a problem where it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And wow, I didn't know that was those happening. ideas that's crazy. are. Yeah, that kind of stuff is happening across like major universities, major companies, you know, the government. I mean, it's kind of like all sort of important, influential uh, institutions in our culture are being kind of overtaken by this approach. And I think it's really detrimental long term. And to your point, Henning, like the intersection of that and then your average human being is the fact that like we have such a short attention span and we're just bombarded with information constantly um and it's shallow information because we're only paying attention to 12 seconds of it on youtube right and so it's um we get this kind of really warped perception and that certainly does as we saw after you know in this last year especially after the last election presidential election like that tactic drives tribalism too Right. Mm. Like that divides people further. Mm-hmm. Just being inundated with like really shallow, kind of like cheap, divisive information like drives right. people into their 
their groups. Sure. And the other reason why, and it's something, this is another reason why I've just been contemplating this so much and trying to make sense of this all is because when you, when I see people, maybe, maybe their intents are of, you know, maybe they're pure intents, but like I see these people and they're divisive and it's, you know, I think that anyone that is trying to be divisive, like anyone that wants to divide you is trying to conquer you. That's my opinion of it. Mm. And so I'm really dubious of any media or institutions or public figures or politicians that are spewing these things that are so divisive. Mm -hmm. It's worrisome. Yeah. On the left and the right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think the division, I think that's that's a good thing to put our finger on because that, that was one of my thoughts coming from last episode too is I think by its very nature, enlightenment thinking gives us division in a way because now we have methods of measuring almost anything, being able to define variables across how many different equations like based on very minute right. changes. like. With measurement inherently comes like, well, how far does this go? And we, we break down all the way to atoms and then we realize that even atoms aren't the smallest thing. Right. Right. So like division comes with the territory, comes with that form of civilization as as like the sciences progress. And I think that type of thinking as it was being exported through the Enlightenment was coming essentially inherently from the Europeans that were going and establishing their trade routes and establishing their colonies and, you know, engaging in all this exploration. I think that's one of the comments or one of the things to pay attention to. Cause like, I, 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 I think Torn, I, I'm hearing not necessarily like an outright rejection, but at least uh, it kind of comes back to what we were saying. Like there's the angry version of everything, right? The, like there's the religious mm-hmm. zealots for any teaching or any dogma or doctrine. Yeah. But there's also like the much mi- mild mannered, often majority of like lay people who are just there to participate and there to like improve their lives in some meaningful way by engaging in any type of community that they're engaging in. So, like, uh, I appreciate that note I think I'm hearing from you. I think the the comment to, like, the way something becomes systemic, though, is, like, when it is the Europeans taking the Enlightenment everywhere, and even pre, like, what we call the Enlightenment age, right? Like, we were hauling Africans from the coast, like, 1619 or whatever, and subjugating them to slavery on this land and part of that part of it was the the privilege that came with the enlightenment like because we can now divide because we can now measure these quote-unquote like primitives or like we called the native american savages for so long like these people because they don't think like us they must not know as much therefore like we can impose our intellectualism like from on high on the mountain. Does that make sense? Does, I don't know. feel like I'm yeah, that, rambling I mean, a bit. We, no, we kind of touched upon that last time that, um, cause Torna, you were pretty adamant, adamantly asserting that like 
the modern understanding of racism didn't exist pre-enlightenment. And in our conversation last time, we kind of didn't conclude, but we started to think about the idea, well, is, did, is the reason that emerged from the enlightenment because of this like acceleration of mm-hmm. knowledge and then trying to export that around the world and interacting with people who had different knowledge um, and, and that, that gave Westerners sort of a sense of superiority. I think that that tracks and to be completely clear, it's not me saying I think that's right. That's just me saying I think that that seems like a, a natural kind of sure, evolution yeah. of how these kind of ugly things could come about. Right. But then but then again, and well, the Africans on the West Coast of that continent were enslaving each other before, you know. White people stepped foot. True. That is true. But, but like white, so, <laughs> the well, white people but, in. But what I'm saying, and I'm not so, but the, obviously there's a s- distinction of like a racial factor, right? Mm-hmm. But, right. right. There's but a there's there. definitely, there's, there has always, I would imagine, been like a class factor. Bingo. Right. Yes. Where people in power right. with more resources subjugate and exploit. Right people who have less. no and we see that in like in the caste system of india right like that's right. that's mm-hmm. still baked right. into that culture yeah we even see we see yeah. that in the middle ages through feudalism it's like that that, yep. that is the prime example of europeans like predominantly white people like <laughs> pissing on other poor whiter people because the king is the one that happens to own the the wall that protects everyone but everyone else is like there for the king's whims like that's that's what that was it transforms though as because like it, your tribe inherently gets bigger as your empire gets bigger so like as the british empire was doing its thing again one of those like surface level identifiers that they could begin to use was this person is white and this person is black and we know we're already engaging in the slave trade that that's pulling africans off the coast and bringing them to the americas to our plantations and whatnot and that it, I, th- I think in the West, it does actually, it transforms from that classist system as the Western empires just exploded across the Atlantic and, and race became the focus because, you know, that's, that's just how their, their tribe grew. Well, all of a sudden it was a factor, mm-hmm. right? Yes, like, absolutely. Yeah. And it's not, it, it's not like, maybe I didn't make it clear, like. Before the Enlightenment, it's not like people didn't notice racial differences. I mean, it's all written throughout history. Like, they noticed, you know, the phenotypical differences between peoples, but it, like, never was a factor for discrimination. Um, It was like, like, okay, these people from this area are, like, you know, darker skin, but, like, they were bad at fighting, so we conquered them, and so... They can hop on the boat with all these other people. That yeah, but I mean, like, even even our Bible talks about, like, the Israelites as an entire people group were enslaved by the Egyptians and eventually right. got conquered by, like, the Babylonians or um, or even the Israelites taking slaves the of the were Canaanites, right? Like, that, sure. and that, like, that goes pretty far back. And as far as I can tell, that is actually based on, like, uh, like, an entire people group and you know, like racial distinctions and, 
tend to be a, a factor even in that area of the world. And racism, yeah, and like racial racial tensions have run high throughout like the Asian world for a very long time, yeah, long before totally. the Enlightenment, right? Yeah, like the Chinese dynasty always thought it was superior to everybody else in the region. Mm-hmm. And then obviously we all know the history between China and Japan. And, mm-hmm. But so, hmm. I will say though, I think the enlightenment, perhaps it did kind of create this opportunity to kind for like racism to metastasize and be like exported around the world in a different way. But it also gave birth to the institutions that allow people to get out from under that class system. It also, though, gave that had plagued mankind. It forever. gives birth to parallel institutions that help reinforce the class system that is getting expressed through race. I think if you take the long view, I mean, that led to a democratic republic, which, like, certainly still had class and race struggles obviously at its beginning but it set up such great institutions that could sort of evolve with human morality and norms that they still protect the individual today we wouldn't enjoy that kind of liberty today had the enlightenment not happened so, like, it might have, you know, kind of been a painful process, but I think it's a necessary one to get to the point where, like, class and race don't actually matter. I think we have to reconcile or, like, reckon with, though, someone like Thomas Jefferson writing that all men are created equal, but what gets built into the system of our government is, like, waspy landowner dudes, right? Like it, like regardless of what the value of the the preamble of the Declaration of Independence gives us, which I again, like I think it's like one of the best piece of writings out there, and it provides the like the idealistic framework for like what our nation can be. But they they declared their independence, they fought a war for it, and then the system they built out of it very much privileged only the guys that looked like themselves that owned the land. And and I think we have to reconcile that discrepancy between like what the enlightenment values they were preaching were being po- like very poorly translated into their action. Yeah, but I think it also was just like a symptom of their time and place and culture and again those institutions like those truths are true and they like were able to um to evolve right Mm -hmm. like it's such a good idea that it didn't it wasn't limited to the social and cultural structures of the time that it was born in it's been able to evolve with our society and like be just as relevant and powerful today with a completely different culture than than it was when it was first started. Oh, I I, I agree. It's coming along for the ride. Like we we're living under its shadow, and I'm I like I personally rather enjoy the, the shade it provides. 
under that shadow. But I think the stage that we're living through right now, I mean, like, like we weren't alive for the, uh, the, like the women's suffrage movement, but that was like Mm -hmm. in our recent history that even you got the right to vote cat. Yeah, totally. And uh, like the, the right to vote is symbolic of something. And yes, like we're not barring black people from voting anymore, but I think echoes and um, kind of insidious uh, like slivers are left over. And that's what we're recon- like working to reckon with now. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back to our conversation. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts. There you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. And thanks to Highline Media Network for having us as a founding podcast. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. Because there is that figurative side of it where you're right, people speak about the voice as self-expression, which we all have. You know, I think it's a very, very, very important part of human nature to be able to express ourselves in some way. And I think that's tied into the Imago Dei. And now back to our conversation. We're both thinking. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking very intently. Please take your time. Again, I, I want to, I am not the expert here. I am talking out my ass, thinking out loud because, I mean, like, I, I've been thinking about this for uh, like a year now, but even then, it, I'm not the most eloquent defender of something of like reckoning with systemic racism, but I, I do see what people are saying when they talk about it. And that's, that's all I'm trying to bumble my way through. I want to hear Torna's thoughts, but he's lost in them right now. I, yeah. I'm trying to work through really this whole, this whole thing, but, um, So I'm going to go down, this isn't a bun- This isn't a rabbit trail, this is still in line with what has become a systemic racism talk, but um, <laughs> I'm going to go off a little bit here, but I guess this is just another one of my like thoughts, and this has to do with um, independent liberties and empowering people to get out of their situations and, and things like that, and actually helping the people of your country to succeed. It's really easy to say that all of these problems that are being displayed clearly are the results of systemic racism. And that might be true, especially like within government and regulation, things like that. But like the way that I perceive it, is I mean we talked about regulation before like it's so frustrating that the people that are champion championing 
these ideas the hardest tend to be more progressive, which there are a lot of good things about being progressive. You kind of need all perspectives, right? They, they help balance each other out, but it doesn't get to what I think is the root of the problem, and it's not like some weird racism thing. It's like a, and maybe it's displayed in the forms of racism, and what people are feeling and perceiving is a very real thing, right? It doesn't really matter what the, in quote, facts are. Like, there's something that is upsetting people, right? But the, the people that are championing it the most are pushing for, like, more regulation, more government, more restriction, and that's the very things that I think have led to the most, like, impoverished people's groups of people that tend to be whatever, fill in the blank. Yeah, you could argue that the biggest disparities that we see yeah. between different racial groups, you can, in some instances, draw them almost directly back to LBJ's Great Society. Right. And so, so let me let me clarify this. I think there was a big issue with racism and policy and things like that. And instead of addressing it, these programs and all these government things have just been built upon. And so now we've shifted away from what is like a problem of racism to what is now a problem because you see it among all demographics, where we've basically entered into what is an extreme caste system. And it's like a poverty issue above anything else. And if you want to then go further back in history and say what led to the poverty, and I would say that it's government regulation. Like, that was a huge part of it. And this is going to lead into, like, future topics that we are going to discuss um, especially when we talk about Second Amendment, I'm gonna rail on this a little bit too. Like, I think w one of the most, I would say, untruthful arguments against Second Amendment rights is that like more conservative people don't want like minorities to have firearms, and I think like one of the huge racist, if you want to talk about racism, issues in America is that like. So many, if you just want to talk about black people, like so many black people live in areas where they're not allowed to practice the Second Amendment right. Hmm. Like that's a government problem. Like I think that every minority person should have a gun. And I would love it if they did and they knew how to use it and they trained with it. Well, gun sales have gone through the roof over the last year. That's and true. especially amongst... Um, traditional minority communities right. as well i'm missing like, the connection get rid of regulation so that like minority communities can have easier access to starting like we talked about before like starting a hair salon or starting a construction business or like you know we've got all this government regulation that's like prohibiting like trade schools and there's all of these regulations that are keeping disenfranchised and minority people down that like shouldn't be in place and so I guess I'm just really trying to like get to the root of issues and and try to think about and consider like how do we actually help disenfranchise people in the United States did you just say how do we help disenfranchise people no how do we help disenfranchised people 
Oh, I see. And minorities. Got it. Yeah. We don't want to disenfranchise (laughs) people. Let me clarify. I want to see everyone succeed. And I truly mean that. I think ultimately what you're saying is that where there is systemic or institutional racism that still exists today, it's largely the fault of our political leaders and the laws and the regulation that we live within. Yeah, I would, I would say that. And I think like the whole thing is like, we need to dismantle, you know, institutional racism or like combat racism or everyone's racist. And like, I just don't see that. Like all of the stats of, of, of what people think and, and, and whatever it is, all these, all these statistics on, on different, Interracial couples. Yeah, all this stuff. Like everything leads and, to like yeah, that sort of thing. The majority of people have worked past that, but then there is something that is in the way. And like in quote dismantling racism isn't going to do anything. Because that's not the problem. Is I guess what I'm getting at. I think one like small piece of that is um that speaks to what you're describing right now is like our education system, our public education sure, system. Sure, yeah. And there's no talk about like or even or or even the the policing debate. There's no serious talk about like looking at those two public sector unions, police unions, teachers unions, which are incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. They have a ton of money. They almost exclusively contribute to Democrat politicians. They're in their pocket and it's just kind of this insidious, like unvirtuous circle, right? It's this, it's this insidious relationship between these public sector unions, like teachers unions and police unions and Democrat politicians who then protect them. And if we really want to think about like, how can we make sure that, that, cops abusive cops are held accountable or how can we help disadvantage kids whether they're minorities or not but kids that are like come from broken homes or are in poor communities and you know don't have a head start in life how can we make sure that those kids actually get ahead and become like fulfilled prosperous healthy people mm-hmm. they need a good education and Millions of kids are trapped in completely underperforming, um, just like dysfunctional school systems Mm -hmm. that the teachers unions refuse to reform and refuse to allow. They actively work with Democrat politicians to block any efforts made to create competition in that industry to to give kids choices where they want to go to or or simply to create the competition to you know incentivize the public schools to do better. And that's where There's like no the issue talk with, about that, right? And that's the where like the issue with trade schools comes in. Like there are constantly efforts to bar like any kind of movement to have like a trade school go in in some community that like the community would reap so many benefits from it. Yeah, you just or like whenever you start talking about school choice and actually giving taxpayers money, Fund giving kids. them their tax, what they pay in taxes back to them, yeah, so they can make a decision on education, like yeah, 
it ke- it keeps people trapped, right? It keeps yeah, people trapped in exactly. certain neighborhoods. It keeps them. I mean, frankly, <laughs> talking about like sort of the structural institutional framework that the progressives of the mid 20th century created LBJ, when he talked about the great society, I mean, I won't repeat it here, but like, look up his quotes. You really should look up his, right. I mean, he talked about horrible, evil things. I mean, he was an incredibly racist man used the N word a lot, Mm -hmm. like to the point where like other Democrats who were Southern Democrats who like came from the, you know, the party of slavery, like the party of segregation, they didn't disagree with him in terms of policy, but even they commented on like just how profane and sort of horrible he was in public. But anyway, he talked about how if they create this welfare system and expand it, that they will keep certain people voting Democrat for the next 200 years mm-hmm. is part of one of his quotes and keeping people, quote unquote, on the plantation is another one of his quotes. Um, and I think that like. Unfortunately, that is the ugly legacy of of that type of of government welfare system Um, and and having these incredibly powerful. Public institutions that are deeply in bed with the people who. Have control of taxing and distributing wealth, Mm -hmm. Um, it's just like I said, it's this insidious relationship that like. There appears to be no way to break it. Um, and it totally keeps people subjugated. And it kind of and it also like just further divides us as a community. Right. Because then there's there's certain people who are like trapped in crappy neighborhoods and trapped in bad schools and like don't ever get ahead mm-hmm. and are told to keep voting for the thing that fed them all of that crap. <laughs> you know, and then there are people who like happen to not live there. Right. And like they happen to be able to have the opportunity to do better. And that just breeds animosity, understandably. Right. But the idea that are that the solutions that we're coming to right now to address this problem is more of the same bullshit. It's not it's not going to solve anything. You know, why the hell have we not talked about disempowering the goddamn police unions? Why have we not talked about that after this entire summer? Right. Like. We don't need to it, we don't need to defund police. We have to have some form of police like right. that's just a basic understanding of how a large society like ours functions. You're not going to have you're not going to live in Chicago or New York City and they'll have no police and have it be some kind of copacetic, healthy well, place. And the but fi- if you have a teacher's union that protects bad cops and that one like in my hometown of San Jose, we can't even afford to pay their pensions anymore. It's literally bankrupting cities across the country. Like that should be where you start, right? Mm-hmm. Is like break that power down and hold people accountable. Right. Make it so you can hold nasty cops accountable. But then also like what I what I just can't understand in this whole argument it, with like defund the police and and that it's this issue of race and whatnot is like no one asks the communities. Like if you listen to interviews and 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 all the data that is coming from disenfranchised communities, they're like, why the hell? Is everyone like telling us that we don't need police? They're like, we need police. We need more police because there's so much going on right now. Like we need protection in these communities. Because there's a crime problem. Yeah. Right. Right. So then like we're not getting to the root of the issue and it's like everyone's blinded by this. Well, especially in the discourse, like in our public discourse of like just like what you hear on, you know, 
mainstream news channels or on Twitter or whatever it is, we're so and especially among like wealthy, white, (laughs) incredibly privileged progressive liberals, frankly, like especially amongst like their dialogue around this subject. People are so narrowly focused on like on on their white privilege and how to atone for that, that inherent sin of them being white. And like, you know, they're going to they're going to read how to be an anti-racist and they're going to hire people to come, you know, consult in their homes and talk to them about their implicit biases and like shame them into repenting for it and somehow cleanse themselves that doesn't fucking help anybody that's stuck in an inner city that has run-ins with police that go badly, that like can't get out of a shitty school and get an education and move mm-hmm. forward. That does nothing for those communities. And yet that's where our public discourse is. Making sure that companies that are going to be trading on the NASDAQ have at least one, you know, openly transgender person and one black person isn't going to, again, fix like the racial disparities that we see in like education rates or abortion rates, like none of that gets to your point, Torna, none of that gets to the heart of the problem. And frankly, maybe I'm too cynical. I don't think anyone serious is trying to get to the mm-hmm. heart of the problem. I think that there is a ton of money to be made and power to be assumed by like, by, by further dividing us and by simply like campaigning and advocating and fundraising on these problems, but not actually finding the solutions to Mm -hmm. them. Because I think we know what the solutions are. I mean, we've been thinking about this issue of race for a century and a half. You know, like we have an idea of what the right thing to do is. And we certainly have made a ton of progress, obviously. But like whatever issues remain, I think we know what to do. But the people who are supposedly leading the charge to solve the problem aren't looking at real solutions. And I, and I would go so far as to say that the solutions that they're looking for are just deepening the issues that we already have. Yeah. And that's what's worrisome for me. Mm-hmm. Totally. But hey, if you become, you know, you can be the, I'm forgetting the gals, which one of the three founders of BLM, but, you know, she spent, she has like, is it three different yeah. multi-million dollar and homes I don't now? Know the I mean, detail- how much fucking money was raised by that organization this summer? I, and look, I don't know the details of that. And what did it go to? I don't care that she has three houses. It depends on how she got her money. Like, if she just, I'm just saying, I, don't, I literally haven't looked in the details or anything. I, I don't know the details. That's great. Like, if it's legitimate and good and honest, like, I hope she has seven houses. Like, I don't care about people being stupid rich. But if you're ma- sure, but if you're making it by exploiting racial tensions right. and like and 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 basically like extorting people. Right. Right. Because you're allegedly like raising money to solve some problem, but you're only you're using all of those proceeds to enrich yourself. That's fucking gross. Well, to me. and I don't know the details, but like I do know that like there are massive amounts of money that just like went vanishing. Yeah. Within like fundraising for BLM and like. Why aren't people discussing like that's disgusting because you're raising money for something that people are legitimately concerned about. And like there's turmoil over this mm-hmm. and you're and someone's laundering money. Like screw you guys like. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter whose side you're on, like you just have to like just call out the BS and be like, no, it doesn't matter what you're in quote standing for. Like 
something's going on that's wrong. Like, let's figure out what's going on and, like, flush it out. Not to sound like an anarchist, but I kind of think we need more Americans, just people in this country, to frankly, like, reject these different institutions and just, like, embrace each other on a human level. Yeah. And, like, fuck political activists that are trying to, like, divide us or politicians who are trying to divide us or, like, you know, media or higher education or whatever institution it is that has this, like, divide and conquer mentality. I think there's a ton more common ground in love amongst average people than we're led to believe. And this kind of maybe is now tying back into, like, the pre-enlightenment thinking that I was talking about. And we talked about language. What, What did I say? It's language. Lineage. Lineage and deity. Yes. Like... I don't think it's all three. It can be one or the other. And like, it depends on how you view lineage, but like the way I view lineage is like, I really value my fellow Americans. Like there is a lineage to that, like help your neighbor, help the people in your community. And that, that lineage is completely separate from like all of the, what color your skin is, what your sexuality is like, fill in the blank, yada, yada, yada. There's something like there's a common connection that we all have, which just happens to be, well, at least the way I perceive it is like, yeah, we're all Americans. Like I listened to a great podcast the other day with a, a Polish man that escaped communism. He, he was a political prisoner for three years and then he escaped and he came to America and people were like, oh, you're Polish. And, and once he came here and became an American, he's like, no, I'm not Polish. Like, stop calling me Polish. He's like, I'm not Polish. I'm not Polish-American. I came here, and I love my fellow Americans. I'm American. And fill in the blank. I'm Canadian. Like, care about the people that are around you. Henning, what are you thinking? I, I, we kind of went off on a little rant here. <laughs> yeah, this conversation went in a totally different direction than what I thought it was going to be tonight, but... Sometimes I forget that I'm recording the podcast and I just start listening as if I'm just listening. <laughs> You're like, to I'm just podcast. listening to episode 25 of the Whiskey Bitch. <laughs> wow. Um, good. Are we crazy? No, Do you think we're crazy? Not at like- all. Here's, okay, so here's the thing is in, in the interest of transparency, you guys are talking way over my head with the, the depth at which I've engaged politics in the last you know, since episode one of the whiskey bench. Cause I came out of episode one, like basically like, I don't care about politics. I never think about it. It doesn't mm-hmm. affect me. Like whoever's president doesn't affect me. I don't care about voting or whatever. And from episode one cat, what, like what in my mind merited a lot of trust and respect for you in me was when you just like point blank were just like I that 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 is something someone very privileged would say about this and I was like oh damn <laughs> like <laughs> I think she's right and I, and you know it's been 25 episodes and I've gotten a little more engaged I think you've you guys have noticed and seen but there oh, there yeah. are so many things that I'd say you're kind of even into it. (laughs) I would say so as well. There's so many things you guys just touched on that I've done 
very little research on, very little thinking about. I mean, like, it's it's even one of those things where it's like I think I had a decent education. I applied myself and made it a good education, even though I graduated from the worst ranked high school in the state. And mm-hmm. you know, like I I learned what I learned. I graduated like seventh in my class or whatever. But like I I haven't thought much about education since because I just haven't been part of that ecosystem. Like I dropped out of college five years ago, and. I've just applied myself at at my job and just which yeah. question was that like the best thing you ever leaving did? leaving college absolutely the worst yeah. thing I ever did was uh, have to pay fifty fucking thousand dollars back for the two years that I got mm-hmm. very frustrating I'd love to know Henning and maybe we don't have to have this in this episode and you can oh, edit please. this out if you want but <laughs> I would love to know like at what point like what what am I trying to say? What where like where did you where were you at and what factors like pushed you to decide that that was the right decision and that that money you had spent was just a sunk cost and like fuck it it's not worth it anymore. Um, to be honest, the decision came about three semesters after I left school. I left school thinking I was only going to take two semesters off because uh, Dixie and I wanted to get married. So I finished my sophomore year and was like, I'm going to take a gap year. I'm going to get married because I really want to be married. And I'm just going to take a year to learn what it's like to be young and married before I come back to school. And I got the job I have now in the interim and started applying myself. And I feel like I've gotten a much better practical education in tenets of engineering and mathematics and physics and all that working where I work now than I ever would have in a classroom doing labs. Yeah. So, so to be mm, honest, the that. decision yep. to not go back to school happened. Yeah. Probably like three full semesters after, but at that point I was like, I, I don't feel like I'm carrying a lot of value even with those two years I have. And if I do go back so I can have the piece of paper that says I have a bachelor's degree in something like, I am probably going to go to a state school that I pay cash for, but Mm -hmm. what I, what I thought was valuable in like the private school experience with a semi prestigious name, like I I just woke up to how worthless that was. Hmm. And then I worked my ass off and paid all that money off in about a year and a half. And, uh, that was very satisfying. Mm hmm. And now you own a fucking house. Yeah. <laughs> we're into it. Baby. We're into it. Do it right. Get after I love it. it. But so Maybe. this actually ties into kind of, I guess my closing thought is you guys just, you gave us a lot and I didn't react because honestly I was, I was listening very intently. I have a full page of notes now, uh, just listening to you guys and uh, Henning takes notes and I'm fiddling with a screwdriver right now. <laughs> and on the whole, I'm like, <laughs> on the whole, like we agree on, on many things. I think this is what makes me kind of a left ish leaning centrist libertarian is that like, I, 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 I do, I agree with you that the, the solution is mostly get the, get the institutions out of it. Cause I think you guys were 
pointing out very successfully that some of the institutions that a lot of people are having problems with right now and decrying for systemic racism, like part of that is actually baked into the institutions that they're attempting to empower. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, I don't know how to respond to most of that right now because I'm I'm still thinking about it and still asking questions about it. So I guess, That's yeah, what we're all about man. We're just gotta- like, and this is why Whiskey Bench belongs on the Highline Network. Is like we're just normal ass people trying to figure this out. I think something that has been stuck in my head since you guys got started was, I guess, my takes on attempting to recognize the realities of systemic racisms in like select institutions or just in our culture more broadly. Like I, I I do a lot of thinking in terms of ideals and not a lot of practicals. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like I'm starting to care less about ideals and like what actually is going right. to help people. And that's, and that's why our friendship has always been a treasure maybe to me. I, but I don't, yeah. And I don't think one is better than the other. And maybe I, I need a little well, but more. That's, but that's both. what you, that's, that's also what you pointed out is like, there's like, you know, some, some progressive thought is not bad for a society. Like things get dangerous if we tip too far in either direction and implement things, right. uh, implement things on the extreme ends of, of what the, you know, the majority values in that case. So like having the melting pot effect and having so many cultural values being represented at once. Um, and even just among the three of us sitting at our metaphorical table here, like we, we each, the three of us have different viewpoints and that's what makes the, the conversations we have every week valuable to me is I come away learning something and having a question to ponder, you know, I think when I'm when I'm thinking of systemic racism in the case of like ideals, of course we want we want it to be true that all men are created equal and that we recognize that we are endowed by a creator by certain inalienable rights. And we allow those rights to flourish and the government is here to lightly protect and defend those rights and not tell us how to exercise said rights. I think as as I've been thinking about again cat like you you pointed out the uh the the people reading the books and getting coached and taking like implicit bias training i think some of yeah. that is valuable to be honest like i've read the books now and in that and that's informing some of my thought but i i don't i mean like i'm a podcaster so like <laughs> my whole thing is having opinions in public but I I haven't been doing a lot of talking about it because I'm still working on it, if I'm honest. And and part of that is, I think like when we talk about white privilege, I think there's there's value in an ethos that says, let us work in our own self interest to the benefit of others and provide value to the world. I think the the interpretation of that kind of like bootstrap philosophy can fall on. Not deaf ears. Uh, I believe in the bootstrap philosophy very deeply, but like you have to have bootstraps. True. Okay. And not everyone has bootstraps. And that's actually, that's, and that's where like, let's get rid of some regulation and like, let's give some people some bootstraps. That is exactly where I was going to go with that is like, I, it, it's not falling on deaf ears, 
But yeah, when you tell barefoot people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, it's like, well, I would. And there are plenty of people that have done it. True. But just because people can do it, those are generally extraordinary people. I don't mean that to be disparaging to other people, but like a lot of the stories. But those are outliers. Like those are, yeah. yeah. That's not going to happen regularly. And I I think such a philosophy can be interpreted as, you know, like I would pull myself up, up by my bootstraps, but if if we're listening well to people who have experiences different than our own, some of them might even say that that boot is actually on their neck at this moment and that we have a responsibility to help that person get out from under and like call out what we need to call out and hold people accountable for what they need to be held accountable for. And sometimes that ends up being uh, quite unfortunately literal in the case of Derek Chauvin and George Floyd, like if anything being under the boot of some form of system that perpetuates that kind of murder, unfortunately, like I think that's a reality. And I think like I'm taking it as my personal responsibility to make sure I'm listening to people with experiences different than I own. Mm -hmm. And that is coming from, Episode one, cat calling me out like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, if Trump or Biden is your president, doesn't really affect you because like things are still going pretty well for you and you've still made it happen. You know, I've heard it said it's like what forms of white privilege and forms of that kind of like institutional privilege can be likened to like me, me as a white man in America. It's like I'm starting on third base, but I'm claiming I hit a triple to get there. I don't think it's totally fair to say that, that that's like a panacea, right? Like there's, there are plenty of people who are white that are born into circumstances that are incredibly adverse totally, and hard totally. and who don't ever break out from the poverty or the dysfunction or the trauma that they're born right. into. And I think it's, I was having a conversation with a woman recently who's white, who's older than me, and she was explaining sort of her childhood. And it was totally fucking traumatic and like dark and bad. And it's impressive that she's where she's at today. And she told me this story just kind of humbly. We're just having like a raw moment together. And then she qualified it and said, but I'm white. And so I don't really know what real suffering is. I think those might have been the exact mm. words she used. And I stopped her and I was like, don't discount your experience, you know, because of the color of your skin. I mean, that's like the exact thing we should probably get away from is identifying ourselves and our experiences and qualifying them yeah. and characterizing them right. by what we look like rather right. than what they were. And I guess, yep. I guess you in know? my example just now, I used, I used my whiteness just because that's like, that was the framework of the conversation we've had all night. Like, I tick yeah. every box down the privilege check, you guys. Like, <laughs> I, I, I can pick any. Well, and when I was, when I made that comment that first episode about, like, that's kind of, you know, not caring about these things is a position you can, that's, like, born a, out of privilege. I was thinking more of just, like, the community that you guys grew up in. Because mm-hmm. they're so fucking different from the community mm-hmm. that I grew mm-hmm. up in, right? And, like, and I, and, I, you know, I. I didn't grow up in some inner city of deep poverty, right? It was next to where I was, but it wasn't what I was right. grew up in. And 
So I'm not trying to say that, but like, but communities like Billings, presumably, and Bozeman, from what I've seen, like it's kind of isolated from other parts of the country that I think are more directly impacted right. by incredibly powerful yeah. politicians. And so that was sort of the privilege that I was referring to specifically. But even that I'm taking more seriously. Like I appreciated that comment so much because it just like it forced me to think about in in every way what what am I perpetuating or what am I ignoring that ought to be addressed that I could possibly have an effect on if I just woke up a little bit and just like took the temperature even in my own city, you know. I appreciated mm-hmm. that. I think the systems question is hard. Like I, you know, it's, it's, it's a confusing conversation because when, when systemic critiques arise and maybe this helps you guys say basically like that's, that's, that's why thinking on the systemic level is unhelpful. Like I made a claim cat and you told me a story of a specific person. Like we went from system to individual and I think in most cases, there, there, there are ways we can do that. But like, in particular, when I'm thinking about systemic issues, like especially in the South, I think about the disparity in uh, like prison rates between black people and white people and the way that um, very silly laws are used to detain people indefinitely. Uh, that's a yeah. huge one. Totally. We should probably have Eliza on to talk about justice system. Right. Which yeah. which I That'd think is, is is part of that system conversation. Like you talk about the justice system like yeah, you can figure out where one or two corrupt judges are doing bad work. But on the whole, like the justice system has has perpetuated ways of implementing racism in our country that like it, the, those to be deserve to be thought about. And what we can't do is say like, well, there are a couple good judges down there and assume that that speaks for all of them in the same way. We can't like point to a couple. I'm bumbling again, but I mean, I, the, I agree with what you're the saying. Way, is, the way I, I imagine to... the, like the individual to the systemic problem is I kind of think of Venom from Spider-Man. <laughs> this is a ridiculous example, but um, okay, I I know who the, Venom is. I don't know if Kevin okay, is. No, I so don't. <laughs> that's okay. I have I have the image of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man three. Right? Imagine full body, skin tight yeah. leather. It's like a Spider-Man a gimp suit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Wow. Um anyway, so uh Spider-Man 3, the Toby Maguire trilogy of Spider-Mans. So this this kid gets involved and he's trying to like work with Peter Parker. He kind of looks up to him and Venom is like this this alien substance that comes from a meteorite, right? And uh kind of multiplies and allows Spider-Man for a time to kind of like gain even more extra superhuman abilities like strength and all that. Peter Parker 
Peter Parker experiences it, puts it away. I don't know why I'm giving you the whole synopsis of this. I okay, synopsis so the there, there's a point. There's a point where the character who becomes like full on Venom is kind of being subsumed by this like this alien blob, this this creature, and uh, like it it forms around him into the suit, right? And he's participating in it and kind of willing willingly giving himself up to Venom because he's kind of drunk on the power. But there's a moment where, like, the creature kind of, like, just gains its own structure in a way. And then, like, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, right, goes and pulls the kid out of Venom. And yet somehow the creature is still, like, big bad evil guy, creepy, like, standing up there. But it no longer needs, like, a human host to do its work. It's finally big enough and it's finally gained enough mass to very negatively affect New York City. Do you, do you know that scene mm-hmm. I'm describing, Torna? Vaguely, we can um, put a As you're de- as you're describing it, but. I'm second guessing the fact that I actually ever <laughs> went and saw that in theaters. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, Fantastic. Any of this, okay. dude, but, but so, <laughs> it's good. It's good. The the way and this might be totally misguided, but the way I think of issues that can become systemic is that if enough individuals contribute them contribute to them for long enough, even if they mm-hmm. eventually wake up to uh, the errors in their ways, or they realize that they were becoming power drunk and somebody like causes them to wake up or or leave that system behind, sometimes it gets big enough that it can kind of c- continue to affect the world around it without needing that individual's contribution to it and that's that's the way i think of how systemic issues like it happens to be the conversation of racism today but like any any issue could become that like if enough if enough active racism is put into the justice system or even the way we build uh suffrage laws in the 17 and 1800s like enough contribution to it eventually the system kind of gains its own will that it can affect. Totally. You wind up with laws on the books that disproportionately impact certain communities mm-hmm. that shouldn't exist anymore. And you create, you know, unions that are incredibly powerful and impossible to dismantle and party, you know, political party machines, same thing. They're incredibly powerful and hard to dismantle. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. It takes on a life right. of its own. For sure. But I will say Harkening back to some of the good parts of the Enlightenment, I think the underlying foundational like bones of the system are fantastic. Oh, we might have to like yeah. clean house a bit and like get laws off the books. Oh yeah, and yeah. like vote certain people out and change some rules so certain you know institutions don't have as much power over individuals as they do now. But like structurally. It's mm. still sound. Yeah. yeah, and don't get me wrong. I'm full on like Enlightenment now, Steven Pinker. I'm into it. I'm into <laughs> it, fam. Yeah. Like, I, we have the world sure. we have because of it. And I rather like my iPhone and <laughs> just like all, all the uh, luxuries <laughs> yeah. and just like the things I get to enjoy in the world. Right. And I, I have that because of the Enlightenment and the advances we've made since that. 
movement. Like I, I'm not, I'm not saying we go pre enlightenment and we just like scrap the whole thing. Cause, mm. cause it, oh, yeah. that would be analogous to uh, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. So we should like pull down his memorial, even though he contributed like the best written document for our nation and helped like create the bones of the thing. The right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People the enlightenment flawed. is not. Yeah another like racist statue we should just pull down <laughs> oh yeah no, right no, no right wowzers thank you so much for visiting this topic again with me guys <laughs> <coughs> this is good um is this like the first part of a eight-part series on no racism no. <laughs> it easily could be because i could talk about this all day i'm sure it'll come up again i like talking about this people people don't like talking about it or at least not in nuanced ways. <laughs> it's important to talk about. It's uncomfortable because, frankly, you worry about, you know, tensions are running so high True. around this debate I'm that just not worried it's scary anymore. to wade into, but yeah. I think it's worth talking about for sure. That's why I mentioned it last week, because I don't care. I want people to know what I think, and then they can talk to me about it. Which we did just yeah. now for... Exactly. A hundred minutes. A ma- hundred minutes we've gone. <laughs> Look at us. 100 <laughs> minutes. Oh, thanks for the discussion, fam. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Cheers, my friends. Much good. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on the Whiskey Bench. If you would do us a favor, please tell a friend about the show in person with a text or by sharing about it on social media. You can join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, all at Whiskey Bench Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remember, always drink responsibly. And cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty. Welcome to No Normal People. I'm Steven. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast, and in Montana. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.